We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With a message for my people. Nick Dab, baby. We the new label. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now this the black sheep sticking it to him. I need a crib like I'm Gatsby. I need it in hand, just understand my pockets that deep. With nothing to prove, I ain't got nothing to do. And it can't compete, and I got nothing to lose. You see, they told me I'm the one that's gonna benefit. Never been a threat, talking out of line, but never let me interject. Cause in a sense, I ain't spiteful enough, decisive enough. They living off the hype in a cycle they trust. Got it shining in the back of the club. Some red dreads, guess they trying to live that life for the blood. Let it is it fair to say the man the myth the legend or no yeah let's go with that why not right i mean if i'm gonna get that kind of flattery i'm gonna take it let's go fox taylor in the building he is a sports betting consultant and ceo as seen on usa today business insider and now veterans minimum absolutely and it's good to be here welcome what brings you to vegas I think the answer is obvious, but well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, you know, anytime I come to Vegas, that means that means big money, right? And so I live in Florida, and back in Florida, sports betting is technically not legal. Mm-hmm. Although, of course, you can dabble on like Bovada and things like that that are offshore. I'm not a huge fan of that. Um, I don't like my money tied up in that type of fashion. So um, I'm still old school with some of the ways that I have to do it. So like when I have big when I have big money to place, large wagers to place, I just fly out to Vegas, even if I'm only going to be here for 24 hours or less. Um, so like, for instance, yesterday, I absolutely loved the over in the Lakers game. It went to overtime, but it doesn't matter. We still got the W. Um, and so that was a big win. That was worth the flight out here all in itself in terms of coming out here with the logistics and everything. But back to being from Florida, man, we don't have FanDuel and DraftKings quite yet. Um, we had sports betting. It was legal for all of about 30 minutes. And then, oh, damn, how come? Well, there was some uh, politics involved where the governor blessed it off, and then, you know, the echelon above him agreed with everything. It was signed off. It was done. Um, The Seminole Tribe, who actually owns all the Hard Rock and Hard Rock International, they were going to be the ones that were um, taking on sports betting, and they were pretty much going to have sole ownership of it within the state, and um, and they were going to be able to toss that out to different folks who wanted to pay their premiums to be able to also partake in having a sports betting platform for, uh, for people to be able to take advantage of. And, um, and then there was a lot of confusion, unfortunately, and some wording that was off, I guess, in the, in the contracting with the state and the Seminole tribe to where at the end of the day, um, there was a debate on whether you had to be on property at the casino to make these sports bets for it to be legal, or could you be in any part of the state as long as you were in the state, right? Meaning, uh, you could be in Pensacola, and even though the Seminole Hard Rock 
is in Tampa and also a location in Hollywood, would that bet still be legal? Right. And did it fall on those parameters, right? So it was a very interesting situation. And unfortunately, a, ju a federal judge came in and ended up ruling that just because it's on a, on a server that was on Indian land, right, on the, on, the, uh, on the Seminole land, didn't make it exactly right. And so they ended up taking it away because of the debate on whether you had to be on property to make the bet, right? And so it went away, and now they're battling again to get it back. Yeah, it's very similar to what happened in my neck of the woods in New York City. My friends and I used to drive into Jersey to go and use the apps. Right, because it was legal in Jersey before New York. Yeah, so That's Jersey right. was the one where the floodgates kind of opened up, like when that got passed in, I think, 2017, 2018. Yep. Then it went official the year after, and then in New York State, it was interesting because I don't know if you're familiar with Daily Fantasy. Yeah. So that was huge in New York. Right. And it's almost like betting. I mean, it, oh, it yeah. is. A you lot know, of parallels. Say, yeah. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And like now I still do. I don't do as much Daily Fantasy as I once did, but it correlates so well with, all right, if I think Julio Jones is going to have over seven and a half catches, I'll probably pay the $6,800 price on DraftKings to put him right. in my lineup. So there were a lot of parallels between the two. But what's fascinating is, originally, you remember back in like 2015 when every other commercial during NFL was DraftKings or FanDuel? That's right, of course. They sort of like snitched on themselves. Yeah, in it's New like York you could City. see it coming. They spent like, I think, close to $30 million on ad revenue mm -hmm. to broadcast their stuff. And then New York State came in and like, hold on, you guys are giving away a million dollars every week? Like, what kind of money are you guys making? So then it got, it was like a six-month stretch where you couldn't do daily fantasy in New York. The reason why I'm bringing that up is because one of the loopholes for New York State to get it legalized, the sports betting that yep. was, was the skill versus chance debate that you would always hear. Like, is it a skill game? And now, daily fantasy and sports betting are both legal in, in New York. Yep. But it was similar to what you were saying about being physically on the casino that's right or just being in the state because there there are a couple of states now where it's either i think there's about 12 states that you could do both mm -hmm. but there's a bunch of them where it's you have to physically go to the casino or you could use the app if you're in the state yeah it it definitely um definitely can can be interesting what i have what i have to do constantly is is um, i'll use a book but a lot of times i have a tr i have trouble keeping a book because every time i join someone's book right and then I win, then that, that book doesn't want my business anymore. So then I have to find another book. And or I'm sending money to people that are in different states to bet for me in FanDuel and DraftKings or even back here in Vegas. So I have contacts literally all over the world. So I'm constantly sending money to these folks, right, transferring money. Hey, put this on this, put this on this. We're flying out to Vegas. I can't wait till Florida. We get it together. And then just it's legal and it's all good. Um, I mean, I'll even fly down to the Bahamas, which is only an hour and a half. Um, to get to Atlanta's on the plane ride just to be able to make a wager, um, whether it's the biggest wager or not. It, it, you know, if, if I see something that I like and I think the juice is worth the squeeze, I'm all over it. You think that would stop you from coming out to Vegas as much as you do? Um, it'll definitely have an effect because there won't be the need. Just, you know, I guess the short answer is yes, because the need is not there to necessarily get on a five-hour plane ride. Um, Dude, once it got legal in New York, I did not go back into Jersey at all. Right. There you go. So it's a convenience yeah. thing, too. But I, I capture a lot of great content out here. It's, you know, there's a lot of nostalgia in Vegas. You know, there's nostalgia by coming to, you know, some of the big name casinos to place those bets, right? There's just something about it. You know, you go to Circa, you place a large bet. There's just a certain feeling about cash at the window, um, having that ticket in your hand. 
And eventually we'll have that again, like I mentioned, I'm sure. But but there's also no timetable on it. I mean, that got taken away a little over a year ago, um, maybe even a year and a half ago. And and back then they said, oh, it'll take a year to clear it up and we'll have it back. And so there's no telling. So my Vegas days are definitely not gone, um, far from it. But I'll still come to Vegas because, again, it's great to get content. It's great to be on different platforms um, like the one we're on and we're talking on right now in terms of your show. Um, I have lots of friends and connections out here. A lot of the guys that I have out in the field that gather information for me on little things here and there um, that I'm looking at, like whether it's fights, because obviously there's so much going on with UFC and boxing out here and things like that. So there'll always be a need to come to Vegas. How much? We'll see. Yeah, for sure, because it's still going to be the mecca. Of course. Right? Like it's still the Disneyland of for sports betting. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's always going to have the appeal. How'd you get uh, involved in, in sports betting? Not so much like the selling of the picks and doing sure. everything they do, but like your love for it. Because I feel as if every true D-Gen has an origin story where it's like teen or younger. Yeah. You know, I think, and I don't, you know, I've always kind of wondered this because you do hear different responses to the very question that you just asked me. And I would think it's common. I'm, I'm not sure, but I'll tell you my, my story is this. I grew up playing every sport that you could play as a kid. Baseball, basketball, football, um, tennis, golf, right? I just was an athlete. I just wanted to be part of everything. I love the team concept. I love competition. And as you get older, you start to learn about sports betting. You're like, wait a minute. Hold on. I can make money off of this? And what I mean by is, is like your love for the game start when you're a kid, meaning you just love the sport. And then as you get older and you mature and you become an adult and you are still involved in sports, whether you're playing out in the backyard at the rec center with your friends or maybe you played in college and things like that. And then eventually, again, you kind of see sports betting and you're like, wait a minute, I have a lot of knowledge. Um, that doesn't mean that you're going to be a great handicapper because in terms of, in my opinion, to become a great handicapper, you've got to not only have sports knowledge, but you have to have sports betting knowledge. You have to know how to read the lines. You have to know when you're being set up and when Vegas is laying a trap and things like that. And so, you know, ultimately my story comes from a love of sports, which I would think that would be for a lot of people, right? But at the same time, you also have to have that love for gambling and that love for the competition within gambling itself. Because I think of it almost like a sport. It takes me back to my days of playing. And, um, and it makes me feel like I'm, you know, you're trying to beat the person in the mirror, right? Like, hey, can I, can I, can I, can I continue to win? Can I continue to beat the books and things like that? And it's almost like you're competing against yourself, right? The research, the analysis, all the hours that go into being able to become successful and be a winner and a long-term winner, to me, it's, it's, it's all just tied back into that original love for sports because how can you sit in front of a game and watch a two-and-a-half, three-hour game of any sort, whether it's, whether it's MLB or NFL or whatever, and without having that passion for the sport itself, I would feel it would be very boring. So I don't know if it's the case across the board with a lot of handicappers, but I know for myself, it is absolutely the origin is just the love of sports. What do you, I mean, have you ever, what, what responses, I guess, have you gotten maybe in the past as you had these conversations? Well, I, I always feel as if there, there's, two, there's two camps. Sports betting is becoming more and more popular every day. Yep. And there's been a huge influx of content in the last five years, going back to the New Jersey case that went down and it became more acceptable so more people started doing it yeah its popularity has grown extremely i think still it's about 15 percent of where it's going to get to yeah like we're still in the like the toddler stages of it because now i mean you've been doing this for for a long time and you're aware of how these Sports networks never would mention a point. Oh, it was so taboo before. It was, yeah. you'd get fired if you mentioned it. Well, yeah. You couldn't imply it at all. And now every network has a sports betting show and content creators on it. 
Yeah. So the, and they're they're flashing the lines on the bottom of the ticker. Yeah, live odds yep. on some places. I, yeah. I mean, I don't watch. One thing I was talking about recently is, I think I realized that I don't love football. I love NFL football because mm-hmm. I was in Arizona last weekend for a wedding and the XFL game was on, but I saw the live odds. That's why I bring right. it up. Yeah. I was like, man, how could you watch this product? It's so terrible. Yeah. But the live odds now, you wouldn't get that. Like three years ago, you weren't getting that. Yeah. So I feel like there's some people that got into the space now because it's like the new it thing. It's popular. But then for me, I, I, was, I tell this story all the time. I was seven years old. My uncle came up to me with a parlay card. He's like, pick these four teams in yeah. the NFL. Yeah. I knew nothing about I, I didn't even know about the NFL because I grew up a soccer kid. Uh-huh. And I picked four teams. I couldn't even tell you what the four teams were. And it hit. It hit. The next <laughs> week, he comes and he gives me money. He's like, you could do this every week. I'll, yeah. I'll give you money. And I was like, oh, this is going to be easy. It ain't easy. Yeah. It's definitely not. But that, and ever since then, similar to you, I grew up playing sports, continue to still play sports. And for me, I fell in love with, like, the numbers side of it. Yeah. I gravitated to, what does the seven and a half mean? Why sure. is that? Why is that? You know, like, obviously the Patriots are going to win, but 14 and a half they're getting? Like, hmm. So that was always a interest of mine. And what you said before in passing, the love for sports and then sports betting, it's two different, like, breakdowns. It is. That. Yeah. And I think people that understand that are the ones that are more successful. Yeah. See, what happens is, is you get a lot of folks that they want to break into sports betting, some because of its popularity, like you were just alluding to, it's gotten so popular in the last three to five years. Before that, it was like kind of taboo. You really didn't talk about it because, you know, it was almost looked down on in certain places that you went. Meaning like if you said sports betting, people would be like, oh, my God, is that legal? Can you do that? Yeah, what, yeah. Do, what do you mean that that's well, what you do? Well, my, my friends my friends and I, we, we say this thing like people that sports bet, and we mean this in, in like the nicest way possible because we do it. We're like, you're, you're a piece of shit. Like that's how people <laughs> looked at you. Like, oh, you're a gambler. Like, right, like yeah. you said, it was taboo and it was frowned upon. But it was always the elephant in the room that everyone knew was there, but they were just oh, navigating it around. It. Yeah. Everybody was doing it. And now that it, with its popularity and its worldwide exposure, now it's so safe and comfortable to talk about, meaning not even just you or I, but just the average American sitting at the dinner table for Thanksgiving. And they're able to now openly talk about the three games that are on that day. Oh, hey, who do you got in this game? And what was the spread and the line? And now they're saying that in front of grandma where they maybe wouldn't have done that you know, five years ago. And that's what's so, that's what's so cool and so interesting about it. And of course it's all about gambling responsibly. Right. But back to what you were talking about with the love for sports and then sports gambling and those being two different things, two different breakdowns, that's where people find themselves. uh, They can get into trouble, right? Because they think, Oh, I've been watching football for years. I know how to do this. But then what you just said, what's seven and a half and what's how important is that half point? And what about this and all those other different odds and factors that go into making a pick? I don't know about you, but the friends that I know that know the most about a particular sport are the dumbest betters that I know. Okay. Well, like example. Example. They know so much about the eighth guy off the bench on the Suns, and they know so much about, like, sets that are run or formations in football, and they know the game so well. And they think just because they know the game that they know yes. the sports betting angle to exactly. it. Exactly. So Ex- that's what I mean by that. Okay, excellent point. And I'm glad that you brought that up. I agree with you 100% on that. And that was exactly the point that I was making. That same guy that you just referenced who knows the form H's and knows, you know, the eighth guy off the bench. That guy, he knows the sport and he knows it very well, but he doesn't know sports betting. Because every sing- there is so much math and analytics that go into setting one number for one game, let alone all the games on an NFL Sunday or any other sport that we want to talk about uh, 
And so that half point can make a difference. Or, you know, is that guy familiar with, you know, the backdoor cover and the different things that can happen in a game to where, yes, you know the sport very well, but you don't know gambling. You don't know sports gambling and how the lines are set and why and then what's going to happen when this team is down or that team is down or up or whatever. And that's what I love about it. Again, it even goes back to that competition thing that I mentioned. Dude, the amount of times I've watched, I've watched games where the line is like plus eight and the team is up 14 points with three minutes left and my buddies are celebrating. I'm like, just be careful. That's right. Been doing this for years. I know yeah. how this is going to end. And then backdoor cover, they end up winning by seven and it blows up your ticket. Yeah. And, and how you, when I look at lines, especially NFL, since we're kind of gravitating towards that a little bit. Well, it's also the most popular. It's the one that people, people gravitate to the most, like you just said. But it's the one that because it's once a week, it's on every network. It's on every television, every bar you yeah. go to. People think that it's the easiest to bet on. It's the most difficult. Yeah, and it's, and it's the most bet on because every game matters. Right. It's not like basketball. I was just having this conversation with someone this morning. There's, is there 80 or 82 games in the NBA? 82. Okay, there's 82 in an yeah. NBA season. Who cares about game 39 in, in January, right, or, or whatever, there's not a lot of emphasis on that game. And for, for me being not only a sports better and consultant and telling people um, how they should manage their bankrolls and what picks to make, how, how, how invested am I into an NBA game midseason when I know they play 82 games vice the 49ers are playing the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It's week 15. This game matters for both yep. teams because they're trying to make a wild card or win their division or whatever. And so every single game matters, which makes it more dramatic, which makes more people watch. And then when people watch, they want to have money on the game because having skin in the game makes it even more interesting. And, and there's a compounding effect here, right? And so that guy who works all day yeah, out in the sun, right? I don't know. You take a guy who's, you know, has a regular type of job, right? And he works hard. He provides for his family. He's got a wife. He's got two kids. That guy makes it a priority that when he comes home, he's watching the Monday night football game and he's betting that game because of all the importance and relevance in his life for that, that particular sport. Whereas I go back to... Uh, maybe an NBA situation or even better MLB. God, there's 160 games, right? And so how important is Royals versus Reds game 70? How important really is that? So that guy doesn't get into it like he does for an NFL bet, like to what you were talking about. When people ask me about sports betting advice, I tell them to try your best to stay away from baseball, especially in the dog days of the summer where there's yeah. nothing else on. Because to your point, it's so volatile and there's so many games where you could afford to lose four games in a row in baseball. Even more than that. Even more than that. Yeah. You lose four games in the NFL, you're on the hot seat. Coordinators yeah. getting fired, dudes are getting benched, coaches yeah. are being pulled in by the owner. And I don't really bet baseball. I don't bet baseball. I'd be lying to you if I said I do. But I would recommend people to bet on a series. Sure. Four game series, maybe take that approach. I think baseball is, I think that's the worst sport to bet on, truthfully. Well, baseball can be tricky, and there's and, and the thing is, I love when I run across the guys who are those kind of older guys. And when I say older, meaning that they love they love baseball. They grew up watching baseball for right. many years. They're really into it. And you know, I, I get a lot of those type of clients that they do want to bet baseball, right? And so the key to winning in baseball is it's it's not just knowing all the guys on the field, but to me, the key in winning baseball is pitching. But that would be common sense, right? but it's the relief pitching. And even more so than that is, who is the relief pitcher tonight? So when Kershaw gets off the mound, right? Or let's say, let's go with the Yankees, right? You're from New York. So when one of their big dogs gets off the mound, Severino, right? And because he's a starter, 
he comes off, well, Chapman pitched last night, so he's not going to be the reliever tonight because maybe his arm's a little sore. So who's the second guy that comes in in that situation? And if you don't know that and how that guy looks and what's his ERA, what what kind of numbers has he's been has he been producing? Excuse me. And so that's where it becomes tricky because that's why that's where they get you is oh Mets tonight are my, are minus two hundred, Dodgers tonight are minus one seventy eight, and you and I look at that or maybe the, or excuse me the average person looks at that and they go oh that's that's a winner, mm, not so fast always in MLB. To your point. Yeah, it's it's wild. I know a couple of years ago the, I think when the Marlins were like really shitty. And this is one of the few baseball bets I made. They were like plus 450 going up against Kershaw on the Dodgers. And I had tweeted out something along the lines of, dude, just by default, you kind of have to take the Marlins. Yeah, sometimes you're looking for value situations. Right. But a four-to-one dog in MLB, I had never seen that before. Yeah. Again, I'm not looped into it where I'm looking at the lines all the time. And then the Marlins ended up winning. And everyone's like, oh, shit, you called that. I was like, not really. I kind of just bet the spot there. And it was so unique yeah. where you had to. In we could stay with the uh, NFL or even any sport. Are there certain spots that you kind of just bet by default just because it's a spot that you're like, man, oh. I love it when a team is in a scenario. Absolutely. So can you give me one? I'm going to answer that question. Okay. And I'd like to tell a story. Okay. Love story time. So I'll, I'll, let's go with NHL. Okay. Okay. Earlier in the regular season, you know, Tampa Bay Lightning ended up being a playoff team, right? They're in the NH NHL playoffs. They won two Stanley Cups. They almost three-peated by, mm -hmm. by going to the championship three years in a row. Um, so we know that they're a very good, respectable, well-coached team. You would agree. Right. Okay. Earlier in the season, they go on a three-game losing streak, which where in hockey, for the good teams, that's fairly rare. You know, usually a good team in hockey will bounce back, maybe have two losses in a row. But a third one for a team like a Tampa, would you agree Tampa's a top echelon hockey team? You know, you've got like the Bruins this year, the Lightning, the right, Maple right. Leafs. There's, you know, there's five or six of those really top tier NHL teams. Yeah, this core of Tampa Bay, like you said, they won the they won the cup. I'm a Ranger fan, so I could tell you more about the Rangers than I can about right. the other teams. But yeah, like Tampa Bay, even if you're a sports fan, you've seen them. You know they're good. You, they've won championships. Right. They're right, respectable, right. well-coached sure. team. So this year there was a perfect spot right after the All-Star game, which the All-Star game was in Miami this year, South Florida. They played the Panthers, so they stay there and they play the Panthers, meaning that um, right after the All-Star game, they had a couple All-Stars, Kucherov, et cetera, and um, they play the Panthers. They lose. Panthers were also fairly good this year, right? They started off really hot, then they fizzled a little bit. So they lose. Second game, they come back to Tampa Bay. Now they're at home, and they're very good at home. They lose to the Buffalo Sabres. Kind of unexpected in that spot. Third game, which is on a Sunday. I was actually in Vegas during this time period of the story that I'm telling you. Third game, out of the blue, they just get completely throttled. I think it was by, I want to say it was uh, maybe the Predators. Um, but nevertheless, they lose three in a row. That is a spot where regardless, in NHL, I see a team like that lose three in a row. I literally made a prediction and had a large ticket on it. I said, on, on, they were going to play Monday or Tuesday. And I said, don't care who they play. Doesn't matter. I'm slamming them on Tuesday when they play their fourth game in four or five days, or in five days, excuse me. I said, I'm slamming them. Don't even know who they're going to play. I'll look at the schedule, but it's going to happen. So I went on my Instagram. I made the prediction. I laid the money down, put two or three grand on it, right? And I took the puck line. So for them to win by at least two, essentially one, one and right, a half, right? right, right? And, and the half, money yeah. line. Money line was a little expensive. They ended up playing the Flyers. They beat them like seven to zero. I mean, they just crushed them. 
secondary to that, or another story I'll tell you is, um, and I can't take credit for this, I read this. This was one of the coolest gambling stories I've, I had ever uh, read or, or heard. And there was this story about these brothers who came to Las Vegas in the 1990s, okay? I think it was the late 90s, if I'm not mistaken. So during that year, whatever year it was, twins, they were from Minnesota, and the twins were really bad that year. Like, they just couldn't buy a W, right? And so they're out here for business. Two brothers, they're in business, they're here, they're in Vegas, and they notice that twins are just, they're awful. Can't, can't win a game. They start going to the sports book, and they look at the odds to what you were talking about. Hey, Miami, they're plus 450. I need to make this bet just to make it because it makes so much sense. Right. Like, it, it just those odds are just screaming for you to take it, right? So these brothers stay for like a week straight in Vegas because they're here on business, but they go to the sports book every day and put a couple thousand on the twins every single day. They're losing. Twins lose. Tuesday, they lose. Wednesday, they lose. And they're like, okay, it's, but, but it's going to happen. They're going to win. So they fly back to Minnesota because they had to. And then as soon as their business in Minnesota was done, they come right back to Vegas because they've got to take advantage of, like, the Twins are going to win a game. They're plus 850, plus 900, plus 500. Finally, it happens. They end up having thousands. Like, they're pressing their, their wager amount every single day to because make they up know for, to make up for the losses. Make up for what they lost, yeah. Right. So they know they're going to win a game. And finally, they do, and they end up hitting a huge payout. They have, I don't know, five, six, seven, eight thousand dollars on the twins at something crazy like plus eight fifty, end up winning, you know, a couple hundred grand or whatever. And it ends up being a huge payday. And that's even more similar maybe to what you were asking me about in terms of those different spots. Yeah, there's a couple of spots that I almost always will bet, regardless, like what you say, you didn't even look at the schedule who Tampa Bay was playing. Yeah. Like, yo, I gotta take this. My favorite one to do is when a what I perceive to be a good team in the NFL. Loses on primetime. Mm-hmm. I love backing them the next week. Oh, absolutely. Because it's a standalone game, primetime factor. The lines become a little misleading where when you look at the look ahead for it, maybe the maybe the Giants were a seven-point favorite before they play that Sunday night football game. Right. Then they play the Sunday night football game in Dallas. They lose 45-10. Right. Now you're looking next week where they were a seven-point favorite at home against the Bills. Now they're a three-point favorite? Right. What, what changed? Yep. Oh, I know what changed. They got their ship punched in on Sunday Night Football, and the whole world saw it. Now they're not priced appropriately. Yeah. So that's a spot where I always – those spots are where I bet the most on. Yeah. For me. Yeah, and that's smart. And, and that's why I love NFL. I mean – it's funny, you always kind of end up coming back to talk about NFL, right? Because, again, the games matter so much. It's so exciting. Um, it's so popular. But, yeah, the, you see it all the time in the NFL. A team just gets absolutely whooped, and then all of a sudden now they're the favorite the next week. And you're like, you know, and that, that's a credit to the, to the coaching, making those adjustments, the players, you know, and the captains of the team rallying, hey, we got to do this, we got to do that, taking practice more seriously. Vegas knows those things are going to happen, right? And then they're also looking at that opposing team as to, well, now what's their motivation? Because let's say that same team is coming in who should have been a favorite, and now they're not. Maybe their motivation is as high because they're on a five-game winning streak, and they think that they're untouchable, so now they're not practicing as hard. They're not game planning the way that they maybe normally would. And so, yeah, you got to be looking for those type of spots to definitely take advantage of. Also, I call it the sandwich spot when you have a team playing two division games on the bookends, and in the middle it's like, oh, they're playing the Raiders. Right. Right. So say like it was a couple of years ago. I remember when I money lined the Jets 
with Mike White when they were playing the Bengals. Yep. It was when the Bengals went to the Super Bowl. Bengals were an 11-point favorite in MetLife. Is, Mike that, White, is that the one where White threw like six, five or six touchdowns in the game? And they were just ready to— 500 to, yards they were, passing? Yeah, they were ready to build a statue for him. Yeah. Like, but in between that, I called it the sandwich spot. I was doing a show with Will Blackman, a sports betting show, and I said, I was like, yo, Jets are winning this game. He's like, nah, no way. I'm like, dude, look, they just played the Browns, yep. and then they got Baltimore the week after. And here come the Jets, three and ten or two and ten, whatever they were, and they whooped them. Yep, those th those are sometimes the trickiest spots. And when I get asked questions about those types of situations, I always tell people these guys are professionals. They are the best in the world at that position. Like, even if you're the third wide receiver on the New York Jets, that means you're still part of a core group of men who are in the NFL, meaning that you are – at that position, maybe one of the top 100 people in the world that can catch a football, regardless even if you're the third guy, like the third option wide receiver, you know what I mean? And so that still says a lot about that talent. And so when that talent meets the other talent on the field, like you know what they say, any given Sunday, right? right so right, right. there you go. It's the best when you would see those videos of the dudes that would call out Brian Scalabrini back in the day. Yeah. Be like, oh, <laughs> dude, you suck. You're trash. He's like, yo, come on, let's go play one-on-one. -on -one. Right. And he just goes and just – dogs these dudes at oh, the park yeah. in one-on-one. -on -one. And yeah. you realize, like, yo, this guy barely – I mean, Scalabrini was playing. Like, he contributed something. But you're talking about, like, even the 12th guy off the bench in the, in, in the NBA, like you said, with the wide receivers, just because you're on the depth chart, you're not a starter, doesn't mean that clearly you're the – Oh, yeah, you're crop. very – yeah, you're very good. I mean, look at Austin Reeves. He was not drafted. Yeah. Um, came into the – he was uh, – he played at Wichita State, and then he uh, and then transferred to Oklahoma, was undrafted, comes in the league, gets picked up by the Lakers – you know, obviously, I think he did his stint in the D-League or whatever they call it now, right? G-League, yeah. G-League, excuse yeah, me. close enough. Yeah. G-League, does his stint, is able to get on the team, you know, uh, and, and he ends up looking really good, and he gets some compliments the other day because he had that really great game. I think it was that first or – it was the first or second game at Memphis, the behind-the-back pass, the couple of late three-pointers, and then you get all these guys in the NBA saying, wow, like uh, Damian Lillard made a comment like, Austin Reeves really is that guy. Um, and it just showcased, you know, the guy was able to showcase his skills and talent in a particular spot where you go, man, that guy really is pretty good. And where that guy could show up at a park and everyone, you know, he might get picked last. Oh, yeah, right? especially and, being a white dude, you're right, definitely getting yeah. picked last. He, he's, he's, a, he's a white guy. He's a little unassuming. He's not like he's built like, right, a, right, right. like maybe like the typical athlete. I think athlete. unassuming is the best way to yeah. describe. Yeah. yeah, but the guy can straight ball. He, he's a hooper, and, um, and now he's a big part of what the Lakers are doing. How soon... When a line comes out, are you making your bet? Or is it all just subjective, depending on what catches your eye? We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
Like, what's your thought process when you see a game? Because I, I do a I do a show with a sports better out in out in Jersey, my friend Kenny, and we just organically by accident, dude, halfway through the football season, he starts coming on the show, and we were recording on Mondays, and I was like, yo, give me a winner for Sunday from now. Sure. He gave one, I gave one, it hits. Next week, yo, give me a winner on Sunday. It's again. We went like eight and zero to start off, and then mm-hmm. I had people in my Discord from the Patreon saying, "Dude, you guys are like giving out Monday winners." I was like, "Yo, I like that." Yeah. So we started coining it like to, to end every Monday show. We're like Monday winners. Yeah. You don't need to wait until twelve forty-five in the east to go and put in your bet because you're sure. probably getting the bad number. How soon are you putting your bets? Are you do you just wait whenever you see the number that you like? That's when you jump on it. Well, because I'm responsible for so many clients and their money i owe it to them and of course i want to make make sure i'm doing the right thing for for my you know for my own bets because i'm going to be betting too i bet everything i tell people to bet but where i'm going with this is that i owe it to my clients to right away when the lines drop monday morning right to look at those lines and evaluate them to see if i see any opportunities do i see opportunities where people are favored who shouldn't be favored do I see opportunities on maybe overs, you know, maybe totals that right that I think are a little bit off? Because that's the best time to take advantage of totals is usually early, the earlier they drop. So they'll say, oh, you know, Bengals Jets is going to be over under a 40. And then I do some math and some calculations. I look at things and I go, wow, I see 42, no problem. Maybe even 40, you know, maybe even 43 or 44. And it's funny because, Nick, that line will start to move up by Wednesday, Thursday. That line's going to go up at least to the half point, right? And then now take away weather and some other things. You know, if there's right. not going to be inclement weather, no major injuries, watch how that line will climb to 41, if not even 42, 41 and a half, 42, meaning it goes up a full two points by Sunday morning or Sunday afternoon. To your point, you just said, guys waiting till 1245. Now they go, oh, yeah, I want to take the over. And now you lose because there was 41 points. You didn't get it at 40. You were caught at 42 or whatever. And so I owe it to my clients to look at it initially when it first comes out. But then I keep an eye. The first thing I do every single day when I wake up, whether it's football season, basketball base, doesn't matter. I look at every every single line of every game that's going to be on that day in football that week, and I watch and I look at the progress and I monitor that line because the lines will tell you a lot. Oh yeah, without question, it's uh, it's the first thing that I do too immediately. I yeah. just look at all the lines. Is there anything that jumps out to me? My, like my biggest clients that bet the most money. I am telling them to make certain wagers. I'm talking about my guys that bet, you know, 10,000, 25,000, even 50,000 a game. I mean, I've got clients that if they want to, they can go as high as a million throughout the week, right? So I'm telling them very early in the week, if I see something in college football or NFL, I'm telling them very early, you know, hey, get on this number because this is number. And a lot of times they're curious. They're like, Fox, what do you mean this is the number? Because sometimes they don't know how to take that. And I'll say the magic number in Notre Dame versus USC is 62 because nine touchdowns is 63. I see 63 or more, no problem because of X, Y, Z reason. And so I'm like, look, it's at 62. This is a perfect number because by Saturday, it'll be 64, especially in college. Do you feel like you would bet? So I have a thing with the, with the Super Bowl in particular, player props. If you like player props over, bet them right away. If you like them under, wait until kickoff. Uh, well, yeah, absolutely. Because listen, the house knows. So for instance, is, you know, Bengals Rams Super Bowl. Is OBJ going to have more than three and a half catches? 
they know that that's a sexy line. It's an attractive line because OBJ is one of the most polarizing figures in the NFL, especially at that time. He had right. made a comeback, left the Browns, right, right, right. the Rams. Now they're in the Super Bowl. A good example is Kelsey this year. There you go. Kelsey, I bet that number climbed, didn't it? Yeah, Kelsey opened up at six and a half, and then it closed at eight and a half. And I think he, I think he had six catches. It went from he, what to what? Six and a half to eight and a half. There you go. So yeah, when you see something like that as a better, slam it mm. and don't think twice about it. Because it's going to start going up, especially in a big in a big game, a marquee right, we're game about like the, the Super Bowl. Game of the year. Yeah, 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 those lines are going to move. Um, I'll, I'll tell you another one that moved in this year's Super Bowl, and I was really big on it was Mahomes completions. Mahomes yep. completions opened up at twenty four and a half. It went all the way to twenty five and a half, if not twenty six, by game time. He threw twenty four. 24 completions in the Super Bowl. If I'm not mistaken, we could look that up later. I'm almost positive it fell exactly on 24, even, even with all the passing and everything, all the back and forth. And so that number went and climbed just like the Kelsey number that you just stated. Yeah, I remember when the uh, Rams, because I had a Rams future that year that they won the Super Bowl. I remember Cooper Cup, his catches went over, his yards went over, but the yards, it all... Because remember, Cooper Cup won bananas that year. Oh, he had the he, triple he, crown. I was gonna say triple crown. Yeah, yeah. he should have won MVP, in my opinion. Yeah, I think that was if there was ever gonna be a wide receiver to win MVP, it had to be him. It, it, yeah, and that, and that hurts, you know, that he didn't get it. And the reason I say it hurts is, I thought it was a perfect spot for the NFL to change the dynamic, change the pattern, and go different, and say, you know what, this year we're gonna give it to wide receiver because he was very deserving and he did have. He had the most yards, the most catches, the most receiving touchdowns. And so it's and like... And then when you look at... I hate to cut you off, but when yeah. you look at Stafford, Stafford had, I think, 39 touchdowns, but 18 interceptions. I remember I was getting so pissed at him because he had five games in a row where he was throwing pick sixes. Oh, man. So... I was betting that, by the way, like he, crazy. He was clearly... He was clearly not the MVP of the Rams. Cooper Cup was. And you're looking at it and saying, like you said, I love what you said about how if you there was ever a time to change the history of the league, Yeah, that was a good chance for you to have that. Because from week one to week 18 in the regular season, if you look at his box score, his worst game was like seven for 80. Yeah. And on, and on this subject and that Super Bowl, what, one thing I thought was really interesting, and, I, and I'm sure you'll remember this, during that Super Bowl, Stafford did not have a great Super Bowl. Mm -mm. He played, I would say, because I do respect how good I think he is. I think he's a total gunslinger, especially in his prime. He had an okay Super Bowl. I think he was the MVP of that game, if I'm not mistaken. I'm pretty sure Stafford was the MVP. Cooper Cup was. Okay, I'm sorry. So yeah. Cooper Cup, thank you. So Cooper Cup ends up being the MVP, right? He had he had a pretty decent game. But the real MVP of that game, without a shadow of a doubt in my eyes, was Aaron Donald. Mm. Aaron Donald had very fair. Had X stats that were just phenomenal, right? I don't I don't remember them to just rattle them off because that was three Super Bowls ago. Was it two or three Super two, Bowls ago? Yeah. So two Super Bowls ago. There's a lot that's happened since then, right? So forgive me. But what I'll tell you is, do you remember he had the last play of the he had the the forced uh fumble at the end of the game. Yeah. Where he got in on Burrow. Yeah. yeah where, I'm sorry. He, yeah, yeah. He he almost sacks Burrow, spins him around, and Burrow throws it into the dirt. Excuse me. And so that play is what won because Bur anything could have happened on that play. You know what I mean? Because they were only they, the Rams only ended up winning by three. And so anything could have happened on that. 
And Aaron Donald was an absolute beast in that game. I mean, that was split. It could have easily been Donald, and it wasn't. It ended up being an offensive player. It could have been a defensive player. When you were talking before about things being mispriced, I remember that Super Bowl. I had given out Cooper Cup on the show, and I shot videos. I was working with a sports book at the time, and I said, it's wrong that he's 8-1 to one to be the MVP. I felt as if he should have been the MVP of the whole league. Yeah. And then the two quarterbacks, Burrow and Stafford, were anywhere from like plus 150 to plus 250, like around there. Yeah. And I said, he should be closer to a 4-1, to 5-1. to one. And everyone's like, yeah, wide receiver. But I'm like, look, wide receiver last couple of years. Yeah, Julian Edelman won it. Uh, obviously, Cooper Cup. I know I'm missing one in between that uh, won an MVP. It's like, this has happened. Yeah. Eon Branch going further back, Heinz Ward. Way back, yeah. Yeah, yeah. way back. Yeah. So it's that was a mispricing for me. And then also factoring in the perception that I had for Cooper Cup and what my opinion was and my take was that he should have been the, the league MVP. Yeah. Why not be Super Bowl? How much of your perception for things influence the bets and the lines that you make? Um, like, give me an example. So, like, the example that I just gave you now of the reason why I picked Cooper Cup to win MVP for the Super Bowl was because I felt like that line was wrong and he should have been closer to the quarterbacks than closer to Jamar Chase and Aaron Donald, who I think was like sure. 12, 15 to 1. Yeah, so that was, was an example of where that was just mispriced. Mispricing yeah. was a better way I should have phrased it. Yeah, no, I just wanted to make sure that uh, that I definitely understood the question. I mean, you see mispricing every day in, in different spots, right? Because it's easy to remember the ones on the big marquee games, i.e. like a Super Bowl or something like that, right? Um, I think I think if you take a look at like who's going to win MVP, like staying on the MVP kind of subject here, like who's going to win MVP of let's say ML, you know, the MLB this year, right? Like American League MVP or National League MVP. If you take a look at some of those, some of the guys on those lists, right? Like for instance, I'll give you a great one, right? I think when I was looking at MVPs this year for who would be um, National League MVP, give you an example. I couldn't believe that Pete Alonso was like 25 to one or 30 to one, right? Whereas some of the other guys, like some of the, the bigger favorites out of the National League, um, were, were maybe nine or 10 to one. Now, I love it because I'm looking for value. Right. Because I don't want to pick the guy, I don't want to pick the guy who is the favorite because seldomly that works out because there could be an injury or there could be something that just totally stifles that. I'm looking for that guy where the value is. So like, for instance, I see Pete Alonso at like, I think it's I think it was somewhere between 30 to 40 to 1 if I'm not mistaken. And I was shocked by that because obviously this guy can hit a lot of home runs, right? He's a very respectable player. He's won uh two home run derbies. Mm. And so I was thinking like that's a good spot. There's value there. Maybe I thought that was a little mispriced. Um that's kind of maybe uh, an interesting example, but in those big games, especially like Super Bowls and stuff like that, I mean, you'll you'll see that from time to time, but that's kind of like the first example that that jumps out to me that's kind of relevant since MLB just started. Um, and, and I was sitting there perusing through the different uh, potential MVPs of American League, National League. Like, I don't like Judge to be American League MVP this year. I think it's just too obvious. I don't like a guy to go back-to-back, -back, right? Um, and so you got to start looking at other guys who maybe have more value who, yes, they're not the odds-on favorite, but there's value. And you'll find all kinds of mispricing on guys. Like, you say a name in the American League, I could probably tell you what his odds are or be pretty close to it. 
And you'll be like, wow, I'm shocked that it's not maybe a little lower than that, you mm. know? And so I always love to look for, for value, but you know, you got to be careful with that kind of stuff because you know, there's, there's so many variables. I, I mentioned variables a second ago with injuries and coaching and trades and anything can happen. So you got to be careful with those kind of bets, Ella, but they're always fun. How much of a factor is historical context in staying with futures or yeah, in futures, MVPs, guys to win championships because I had Argentina win in the world cup. Nice. And the last 15 winners of the world cup have all been a top six favorite. Okay. So by process of elimination, everyone after that, you're donating your money to mm -hmm. the lovely people of Las Vegas. Sure. The highest odds for any team that has won a world cup was Italy in 06 and nine to one. Mm -hmm. So you're not really getting what Croatia did in 2018 was like an anomaly. Right. 60 to one from the beginning to make it to the final. Right. So staying with this premise, is that something that you go into when you're looking at futures or, or MVPs or anything like that? Cause for me, like even the NBA, it's usually like a top seven to eight favorite, not for MVP, but for a title. Yeah. I'm looking at every single piece of data and information that's top available. to bottom, top to bottom. Okay. Now you say world cup and I think you would agree with this. You don't have to. World soccer is so different, especially when it comes to World Cup, because those top six, seven, eight teams that you that you're talking about that that you're referring to, those are like the capitals of right, soccer. Yeah, yeah. Those are like soccer. Those are like meccas of soccer, right? Yeah. So you talk about it's like the obvious ones: France, like Brazil, Spain, Italy, yep. Argentina, right? And so those are like those are going to be the most bet. And so they can't let those odds get out of control or even too, or even too advantageous for us because they know that that's going to cost them money. Almost by default, people are going to be betting on them. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. But you know, let me give you a great example. I'm going to go years back here. The first year, the golden state warriors won the championship. That was a little unexpected. I'm going to rattle off a number. I could be wrong. I, I'm almost positive that that number for them to start, to start the year was plus 1,800. I bet it's between 18 and 22 if we went back and looked. So what year did they win it? Like 14 or 15? Something like that? 2015, yeah. It 15. was the year that Curry won MVP. I remember I bet on him uh, 30 to 1. Okay. okay. Won MVP. So check this out. That year was also the first year that Kerr came in and Mark Jackson was out. Yep. So for a couple of years, I had been paying attention to Steph because I loved him at Davidson. Um, you know, you root for those underdogs because the kid looked like he was 90 pounds at that time. Right. He was shooting the lights out. He made the tournament extremely interesting when he was at Davidson for his last year there. Um, then he comes in the NBA. And I, rem I remember, people forget Steph Curry's early NBA years when the Golden State was completely irrelevant, like Monte Ellis, Steph Curry, a couple other guys, you know what I mean, that were that were good. They were kind of scrappy. They were kind of a team that's like, yeah, you know what I mean? Like, it, war Warriors weren't doing anything. And but, also, he was hurt. Yeah, he had some injuries. He had early injuries. Yeah, he, and the reason why I remember that era is because, as a Knicks fan, everyone would always say, dude, Curry went right before. Yeah. Right before. And it's like, all right, hold on. Knowing New York media, knowing New York fans, you think they were just going to let Curry chill and get healthy? Right. <laughs> the headline would be, oh, this guy sucks. His ankles, he's always going to be hurt. And the media is going to pressure the organization to be like, all right, man, you you're not 100%, but you're 75. We need to, you know, we got season ticket holders and all the politics that go into that. So Curry probably doesn't turn into the Curry is now if he wasn't at Golden State. 
I mean, we're saying in today's world, we talk about the stretch four and sometimes even stretch five guys, right? Like, look at Anthony Davis. He's perfectly capable of shooting three-pointers. I'm not saying he's a great three-point shooter. What I'm saying is is nobody bats an eye if Anthony Davis shoots a three-pointer if he's wide open. Would yeah, you agree? Yeah, it's not upon like it once was. Yeah. Kerr came and changed the dynamic and culture in terms of play on the team. I'm not saying they had bad culture before because I respect Mark Jackson. I thought he was a pretty, a pretty good coach. But the original question about looking at all the data and everything, I knew Golden State was onto something because for those couple of years before Kerr showed, Steve Kerr showed up, I could see right the momentum building, the evolution of Curry and his development, the cultivating of the talent. Then you get Klay Thompson in there. They become the Splash Brothers. And then the final piece was the Draymond Green piece. And then so many great role players. Listen. I can name role players for that first Golden State Championship. Do you remember a guy named Derek Lee? Mm -hmm. Okay, Derek Lee played at University of Florida. David Lee, excuse me. Yeah, Yeah. former Nick. Former Nick, played at University of Florida, so he was in my backyard. I don't know if you remember that first, again, that first championship that they won. That guy was a huge part of that, along with a couple of other guys that we've probably forgotten about. And it's just such a true testament, right, to, to Coach Kerr. But I'm telling you right now, you could see it starting to develop, starting to happen, and then... Before you know it, bam, championship. And we go back to those original odds, somewhere between like 18 and 22 to win. So that wasn't, you know, people didn't think that was realistic. Right. Now they're a dynasty, Nick. Yeah. Dynasty. Yeah. So, does, I mean, that kind of answers, hopefully that answers the question. Um, but it's like, take all, take all the stats, everything that you can analyze, look at those different things, but you also have to take them with a the grain of salt. Um, when you look at like NFL, there is so many different statistics and data that can be so misleading. Like, I'm going to be funny here, but it's like there's there's statistics out there. Well, if this guy plays at home and he's wearing a white sock and he's got an eight in his number. Yeah, the home, right? home and like, road come splits. come on. Yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. I know exactly what it, you mean. It, not, every, not every statistic is going to equate out to the said name desired result, meaning like, oh, he'll get X amount of – like, if he plays on artificial turf, he's going to get eight catches. Maybe. Like there's certain stats out there that I think it's always great to 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 look at them, to evaluate them, but they don't always have as much meaning as we think. Yeah, I think a perfect example, staying with the NFL, and this all started with like my love for daily fantasy. When Michael Thomas first went to the Saints, Drew Brees was like a historic fade on the road. Right. But at home, they were And on grass. Yeah. At home, they were unbelievable. Unbelievable. Like, don't, it, it was almost like unbeatable. Right. Don't don't bet them. Don't yeah. bet against them. Absolutely. And then that was the perception and the narrative around Drew Brees and the Saints. But then when Michael Thomas got there, after year two, after year three, when he broke that catch record, it's like, man, that doesn't apply anymore. Like that narrative of him being bad on the road doesn't apply because now Michael Thomas is there, and that just changes the whole dynamic. It's a shame that Thomas had so much going on with, with weirdest, the coach, weirdest, with the injuries, because we, I think we we just didn't get to see Breeze and Thomas the way we should have. I felt like that was taken from us. Uh, yes and no. I think Breeze at that, at his career extended because of Michael Thomas because dude yeah. couldn't throw 20 yards. Yeah. So that's why Slant Boy became a real thing. And where that they guy were could catch him. anything. Right, right. But a lot of his catches were all like 20 yards and under Agreed. for Michael Thomas. Michael Thomas, you're talking to someone who I've coined him as the weirdest career a wide receiver has ever had, in my opinion, already. I think it's fair to say because he comes into the league, takes the league by storm, setting all these records, amazing. Scores a touchdown, gives the ball to the referee, no complaints, nothing. Gets a $100 million contract, and then that's when, like, all the fuckery kind of started with him. Yeah, he started getting injured, so you do take that with a grain of salt, like you mentioned before, but... 
man, just a weird career. Because usually, especially wide receivers, they want to get paid. Yeah. And then that's well, where a paid. lot of he got paid. And then that's where everything sort of started to spiral. But you know, he if I remember the story correctly, and I and if I think I have a handle on what the situation was, and I can at least relate to this somewhat in terms of just the concept of it, right? I got an injury. You really want me to play because you don't think the injury is that big a deal. I don't want to play because I know that this injury could turn into a much larger injury and then it could stifle my long-term NFL career. But you're saying, head coach, dude, oh, no, you need to be out there. You're not a team player. You know what I mean? Those conversations are obviously happening behind closed doors. Sure. So I, I, don't, I don't know because we're not there. I don't know. But that's certainly what it seemed like because he had a grudge. Because remember, he went like and got the surgery like after the season, and it, like, or I'm sorry, he got the surgery right before the right start before of the this, new season, yeah. and everybody was scratching their heads and like, what's up with the situation? And to me, it seemed like there was a grudge there. And some of these guys, divas, wide receiver, right? You do something that you don't, they don't want you to do, or you say something like, you know, I mean, you go out there, you throw them under the bus of the media, they don't like that, right? They, they, you have, they have an injury, you try to push them, they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. It's kind of like the Kawhi Leonard situation. Listen, we both know Kawhi Leonard could be playing. Kawhi Leonard is telling his coach, I guarantee it, hey, if I get hurt, this could be long term for me, then I can't play next year. Right. And so he's not willing to take that risk. Whereas back in the day, we looked at guys like, oh, he's so gritty. He's always out there. And these guys now, they're so much more cautious because it's so much more acceptable to be like, oh, well, you know, load management and maybe this is for the best. Whereas we didn't see as much of that back in the day. Can I, can I push back on the diva comment? Sure. They're the most unique position in professional sports. The wide receiver? Yeah. I mean, define unique. I'll make the case. It's the only one where I need two things to go right for me to be successful. Okay. I need the offensive line to be able to block, be competent, to yep. give time to the quarterback to then throw me the ball. Mm -hmm. They are in the traditional huddle of any, whether you're playing rec league football, peewee football to the NFL. They're the first ones to break the huddle. They're isolated from everyone else. They're out there like on an island. Sure. And if I have a 80 catch, $1 million incentive and you're my quarterback and it's week, it's week 15 and I need 20 catches, of course I'm going to bitch and moan and say, yo, Fox, yeah. I need the rock, man. I got to yeah. get paid. I'm going to be yelling at the, the offensive line. Like, come on, yo, you got to keep them upright so I can run my deep route yeah. and score. So, I think they're the most unique position because think of another position that you need two things to go right in order for you to be successful. I mean, I would say this. What I, when I say diva, here's what I mean. Traditionally, wide receiver tends to have a lot of divas, and it's because they are, they are playmakers. They're great athletes. So let me rattle off a few names. OBJ, Terrell Owens. Des Bryant, Chris Carter, Randy Moss, and the list goes on. These guys are diva-like, and I'm okay with that. Terrell Owens one of my favorite players of all time, diehard Niners fan here, right? I love Terrell Owens. I wish he was still in the league, right? The guy looks amazing. But what I'm saying is, is they're such playmakers, they want the ball. I have no problem with them being a diva because I understand. Like Terrell Owens, when he played the game, Terrell Owens is like, if you give me the ball and I have it in my hand and I can run with it, we have a better chance to win this game because I am that good. He knew if I have the ball, because his yards after the catch were insane. He was so big and so strong, hard to take down. Randy Moss knew I'm so much faster. I can leap so much higher. I, I, can, I can high point this football better than anybody. 
I mean, wide receivers can be wide receivers, excuse me, can be diva like because they believe in themselves so much and they're confident, right? And they're and they want the ball. I'm with you. Like I'm not saying that they're all like Cooper Cup is not a diva, right? No doubt, he is not a diva. You know what I mean? Julian Edelman, uh, Julian Edelman, excuse me, Wes Welker, those guys weren't divas. Fitzgerald too was yeah, like Fitzgerald, yeah, definitely not. You know what I mean? But some of those guys with that just extraordinary – I mean, I rattled off those Hall of Famers. You know, those were all Hall of Famers right there. Chris Carter, Randy Moss, yeah. Drell Owens, you know, um, maybe not Des Bryant per se. That, that will be a good one to see if he ends up being a Hall of Famer. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely a unique position. I played wide receiver in high school. I get it. You know what I mean? You're out on the island. You know, you believe in yourself, et cetera. Last thing I want to end this conversation with, and it was fascinating to talk to you, and I appreciate you coming in because I know how busy you are from what you told me. What do you think, what sport would you say lines are the most mispriced in, if you had to pick one? Mispriced, and are we going, when we where, say... Where, where, where every time you look at it, you're like, damn, they're wrong on this one. And it could be in either direction. Like, maybe a favorite is too big of a favorite. Maybe a favorite is not as big as they should be. I will, I will say this. In MLB, you will see, because there's so many more games, you'll see mispricing all the time. And it's because I think that the lines makers are a little bit more challenged because there's so many more games. So, for instance, there's 160 games, right? Am I right? There's 160. 162, yeah. 162, right? So there's 162 games. There's a lot of guys on these rosters for MLB. There's all kinds of dudes in the minors that are coming up in different spots. September call-ups, yeah. I mean, dude, there are so many factors that are going on. I mean, if I was a lines maker... And I'm in charge of like pricing, you know, Blue Jays versus Angels tonight. And there's some different variables that are happening. You know, it, if Toronto is favored and they're minus 145, right, on the money line, and now Angels are plus 125, it's like you'll see those upsets every single day in MLB. This is what I'm getting at. Every day in MLB, you will see not only one underdog win, but multiple. You know, you will see the Pirates upset the the Dodgers. You're going to see that happen, and you're like, how? Like, Dodgers got Mookie Betts. They got Freddie Freeman. They got uh, Kershaw. They got this guy, that guy, right? How did that? How did Pittsburgh Pirates win, right? And it's because there's so many factors in baseball that you can see the mispricing take place if you truly know what's going on with the teams and the odds and like, home, away, weather. You're taking all those into consideration. You see it more meaning in quantity right? In the NFL, there's so much fewer games that you don't see as much mispricing. But if you were to ask me, hey, what what do I love to bet on? You know, I'm with you. I, like, I'm a big futures guy. I know that you like futures. You told me that. Man, listen, I love golf futures. I love NASCAR futures because I don't know if you ever if you ever bet golf or NASCAR, but if you ever take a ganders at the, those odds, you know, like you go into a Masters, you can get Scotty Scheffler two Masters ago at 17, 18 to one. He ended up winning, by the way. Where And, I mean, this guy went into there being a top 5, 10 player in the world, and you still got him at 18 to 1 mm, because there's, there's so much great competition. Right. Same thing on a NASCAR, on a, on a racetrack, right? You can have all these great racers. You can have Denny Hamlin, Martin Truex Jr., Kevin Harvick. These guys are Hall of Famers for sure, no doubt. And you can still catch them at the right racetrack for 15 to 1. Kevin Harvick on Sunday, who was absolutely in contention for the lead at Talladega this past weekend, was 25 to 1. He had won Talladega before and had many top fives there. There was so much value. He didn't win this past Sunday, 
but he was running top five all the way until there was a caution and over to, uh, to send it to overtime. And you're looking at it like he should be a top five favorite, and he's not, and then that's why you— 100%. Right. He, he, he's a former Talladega winner, but for some reason he was 25 to 1. It's because people are starting to forget about his greatness because he's been around for 20-plus years in NASCAR, and all the focus is on guys like Chase Elliott, 9 to 1, 10 to 1 at Talladega. Danny Hamlin, who's an absolute legend— 10 to 1. So the focus was on all these drivers, right, who are maybe a little bit more, I'd say, relevant with today's culture and the folks who are watching and betting NASCAR. But I saw a misprice this weekend, Kevin Harvick, 25 to 1. And it would, if it wouldn't have been for him running out of gas, there was a high possibility there in overtime. Uh, this past race at Talladega went to a double overtime situation, and he had to stop and go back and get gas. He just, you know, because it went to a second overtime, he didn't have enough gas to be able to compete without worrying about running out. So we had to go back and pit, right? So throwing a little bit of NASCAR at, at yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, that's the be, first time. Hey, that'll be cool for some of the people that are watching it. I am the number one NASCAR uh, handicapping uh, for NASCAR in the world. There is nobody who does it better than me. I'm telling you right now, I eat, bleed, breathe, and sleep it, just like most sports. But when it comes to NASCAR, I'm fascinated by it because competition-wise, brother, there are so many different things that these guys got to do. You're talking about so many different parts with the car, so many different strategies when it comes to pitting. Pit now, pit later, you know what I mean? Um, I don't know if you ever watch it, but it's fascinating, man. Maybe we'll talk it up and talk about it some more later on down the road. But um, you want to talk about odds, you want to talk about payouts, you want to talk about finding some mispricing, you'll see it all the time. Wow, NASCAR. Never heard NASCAR on this show, folks. You get a little bit of everything here on VM. For me, though, to answer the question and to put a bow on this episode, UFC. That's a, that's a great one. UFC that's is, a great one. is yeah. the one where I think it's becoming more and more popular now, especially ever since it moved to ESPN. It's getting more mainstream appeal, even though it was mainstream. It's still a relatively young sport. It's been around for 30 years, the your, UFC. Your thoughts on this, real quick. I know we're about to end the show. So this past weekend, I had Pavlicic by knockout yeah. against Blades. Okay? I had inside information. I want, let, me, let me restate that. I had a gentleman who works for me who knows UFC inside and out. And he, I should say professional, not inside information. I say a very, very professional guy who was in the, in the league. He is very familiar with it, right? Very familiar with the sport. He said Blades will leave his chin unguarded and Pavlicic will knock him out. He was plus 130, even by fight time, plus 145. Did you see that? Did you see that coming? And oh, yeah. that's another example of mispriced because the dude knocked him out. I think it was first round, right? First round, yeah. Well, so also, was that mispriced or not? Uh, I know yeah. you're a big UFC guy. Yeah, I would say the that was the easiest handicap of the year so far in the UFC for me because Pavlovich only wins in round one or two. You could have got him plus two eighty round one, plus nine hundred round two because he rare, very rarely goes into round two. And I had Pavlovich by knockout. I had him to win by knockout in the first round. Yeah. And then I took Blades second, third, fourth, like later on. But again, you were getting plus 300, plus 280, and also by knockout. So yeah, that was exactly what the handicap was. And then when you factor in that Blades, his whole career only loses to guys that fight that kind of style. Exactly. The brawler type, the, yeah. the elite striker, and especially for the heavyweight division, like he's lost to Derek Lewis, he's lost to Francis twice, and he loses to Pavlovich. It's like these big heavy hitters. So with the UFC, it's the one that I think is the most mispriced. Like Max Holloway a couple of weeks ago was minus 160. I was like, dude, come round four, they're going to flash the graphic. He's going to be minus 800. Yeah. They flash the graphic, minus 750. That was close enough. So yeah. that's the one where I think it's the most mispriced. But again, it's something that they're going to catch on to it. But I think now is where we could take some, some big swings and, and hits, not misses. 
Yeah, yeah. I think that was a great example. And some of those, like I said, some of them, some of those examples that I gave, whether it's NASCAR, golf, you mentioned UFC. I mean, you can find so many value in those different situations. And that's where we got to slam it. That's where we got to take advantage and capitalize on it. So, but good stuff, man. This was awesome, dude. Tell the people where they can find you, your social media handles, and the whole nine. Yeah. So, um, if you want to be able to get a hold of me, you can go to my Instagram. My Instagram is the underscore king of odds. Um, you can also go to my website, thekingofoz.com. But, guys, I don't have an assistant. If you DM me on Instagram, you are talking to Fox Taylor. I answer every single DM. One of the things that I really take a lot of pride in, Nick, is personalized service. So I look forward to hearing from you guys out there. And, again, it was a pleasure, man, being on the show. At Nick Day is 10, as you can find me, veteransminimum.com. If you're a member of the Patreon, you've already heard this episode early. But for everyone else, the bio will have all of Fox's information on there. And we will catch you guys next time on Veterans Minimum. I'm a gold medalist, bronze like your medalist. So many deer in headlights, but it's bedtime. Hear that supper bell, main course, beat of venison. Zab, the most dangerous game. Either kill or be killed. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.